Okay. Well, good morning. How are you doing? You okay? Good. If you've got your Bibles with you, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 9. My name's Alid and I'm one of the members here at Kings and part of the leadership team. And it is an absolute privilege to be continuing our preaching series on Acts of Courage. Do you know what? Hastings is on God's agenda. Do you know that? Do you know that God's got plans for Hastings and 1066 area? I mean it. It's not hype. It says it in the Bible. God's got a plan for Hastings. Do you know what his plan is? Do you know what God's plan is? It's you. You are God's plan for redemption of mankind in Hastings. Do you know that? that is, that's God's plan. And do you know what? Just to let you know, if you're not already, already, there's no plan B. You are it. We are it. God help us. And it's a, it's a massive undertaking, but it's a huge privilege. And you know what? It's only going to happen if we harness courageous faith. Courageous faith. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about having courageous faith. Courageous faith. In order to undertake this commission to go, we're going to need some real, firm, courageous faith. All right? Not wishy-washy stuff. We're going to need real faith. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. I suppose that there is more said about faith in the Bible than anything else because faith is that by which all the blessings of salvation ultimately come to us. We are saved by faith, we are sanctified by faith, we walk by faith. Do you know what? In the Bible there are 365 references to faith. One for every day of the year. This is an all year round thing. This is high on God's agenda. All right? And today we're going to look at a guy called Peter who was one of Jesus' friends and followers, and we're going to look at two occasions where Peter demonstrates incredible, incredible courageous faith. All right? So if you've got your Bibles, if you haven't, don't worry, the words will come up behind me. But we're going to be looking at Acts 9, chapter, uh, verses 32 to 43. Okay, let's give it a go. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down to a he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas. We'll have to be careful how we pronounce that one. Bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Wow. Verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. In other words, she had this Aramaic name and a Greek name. They both mean gazelle, I think. All right? It's irrelevant. All right? There's this woman, Tabitha, and she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Now since Lydda, so this is where Peter was, so we've just heard about Peter getting this guy and saying, get up. Well, Peter's not that far away from this place, Joppa. So the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. 
And then, so once he'd prayed, he turned to the body and he says two words. He says, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. Wow. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and windows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Not a bad day in the office, eh? Not a bad day in the office. Two incredible stories which demonstrate both Peter's faith in God, but it also demonstrates God's ability to break in and change a situation, even death. And I don't know about you, but when you read stories like this, or maybe when you read the Acts of Courage uh, boards, it stirs in you real faith. It raises my expectation in God, and it does something about my excitement. I don't know about you, but it does me. I read stories like this, and I get excited. But you know what? Reading this passage these last couple of weeks has raised some problems for me as well. And it's, just, it's raised some challenges for me. So I just want to be honest about a few of the challenges in the passage for me personally. Okay? The first thing I'm challenged by is the sheer level of Peter's faith. There just doesn't seem to be any doubt, does there? Just when you read it, it just seems he has such confidence. There's no hint of doubt. There's no hesitation. There's a degree of certainty in what he says. I find it interesting that before there's any evidence of a healing, Peter already knows that the guy's healed. He says, Jesus Christ has healed you. Get up. Remember this guy, and we don't know why he's sick. We don't know what's happened to him to make him paralyzed. We know he's a grown man, and we know that it's eight years he's been paralyzed. So for eight years, he's been lying there, unable to get up. Peter stands and says, get up, Jesus Christ has healed you. Up to that point, there is no evidence that Jesus has done anything at all. But he stirs faith. The man gets up and he's healed. That is something of amazing, courageous faith. Now that challenges me. That really challenges me, this, this unquivocal, this, this, there is no doubt in my mind that if I speak the words of God, something is going to come about. And that is what I'm reading here in this story. So that's the first thing I'm challenged by, the sheer level of his faith. The second thing I'm challenged by is the connection between proclamation and demonstration of the gospel. Let me explain. For me, there are lots of opportunities for me to share with words the gospel story. If I'm honest, I'm not so good at demonstrating what Jesus has won for people. Whereas in both these stories, it's interesting the order. God breaks in and does a demonstration of his gospel, and then many people turn to Jesus. I just find that interesting, and that was a challenge to me. Actually, how much of my life is done on demonstrating what Jesus has won for people, expecting that to be an open door for people to say, man, Jesus is good. I want to taste and know more of him. And you know what? Both of these salvations come out of demonstrations. Here at King's, I don't think we have any intention at all of dumbing down what we're doing in the spirit. We have absolutely no intention of quashing what the Holy Spirit wants to do because of vistas, because we believe that that is an open door. A demonstration of the gospel is an open door for people to receive Jesus. And that's hugely important for us as a church. And the third thing that I'm challenged by, and this is what we're going to focus more on today, 
The third thing I'm challenged by is Peter's willingness to take responsibility and authority. His willingness to take responsibility and authority. Something I noticed. Neither of these healings took place directly as a result of prayer. Alright, just bear with me. Let me explain. So Peter does pray. Prayer is hugely important. It's the bedrock of what we do in relationship with Jesus. But I was looking in the Greek with Andrew. In fact, I wasn't. I don't know. I don't read Greek. Andrew was looking in the Greek for me. And there is a time where he, so he, he kneels down and he prays. But then there's a, it's almost like right. he prays. And then he turns to Tabitha. And what does he say? He just says two words. He says, Tabitha, arise. He doesn't even say in Jesus' name. Well, that's not in the textbook, is it? Is it? And it challenged me. I just thought, man, there is something where he's willing to take responsibility and take the authority that Jesus has given him to intercede in Jesus' name. I just thought that was really challenging. And you know what? These last couple of weeks, I've gone through, and if you can find one, please come and tell me, because I can't find an example in all of the Gospels, in all of Acts, where someone has been healed or raised as a direct result of prayer. It's always people saying, with My commission and with Jesus' power, I'm raising you from the dead. So there's a commandment of God's blessing. That's how it happens over and over and over again. And it just brought a real challenge to me. I'm yet to find a single time in the Gospels Acts that someone has prayed a sick person well. Peter says two words, Tabitha, arise. Just brings a challenge to me. How much am I able to take responsibility and take authority with what God has called me to do? Let me just give you a scenario. I'm in work, and Paul comes in a little bit late, and he's hobbling in. And I, and I see that he's obviously in a bit of pain. I say, Paul, what, you know, what have you done? And he said, well, I went to a, a ballet dance on uh, Thursday, and, I've, and I, I just slipped off this balancing beam, and I've done, a, I've done damage to my back. And I think, okay, that's fine. Well, you know what? I've, I've already decided in my head I'm going to do something, and I'm going to say, Paul, I'm going to pray for you. Is that okay? And what I do is this, and then generally this is my default position, and this is what I felt challenged by God this week, okay? My default position is this. I put my hands on his shoulder and I say, God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for what a blessing he is. Thank you that you know every detail of his body. You even know the pain that he feels right now. And I just say, God, will you intervene right now? Will you do something to this body? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now that's a good prayer. For me, I'm thinking, that's fine, is it not? But do you know what I felt challenged this week was this. The heart behind my prayers are so often, God, do something. I think the heart behind the Great Commission is God saying to you, you, do something. I'll tell you what, that hit me square between the eyes. I default to just saying, God, there's a situation here where you do something. God's commission is, Alid, I've given you the authority and the responsibility. Go in my name and bless. Do you know what? Often we catch on with what God is doing with blessing. Sometimes you stepping out gives an opportunity for God to bring blessing in a situation that wouldn't have happened otherwise. You open up the door for blessing. I wonder whether these guys, whether... Dorcas or whether this guy in Lydda would have been healed or raised from the dead if Peter wasn't there? It's an interesting question, but I don't think they would have been. Because I think it's a result of Peter standing up and saying, I'm going to take responsibility and use the authority of Jesus' name to do the works of God. 
So those were three challenges. Now listen, to, I'm not saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that prayer is not important. It is hugely, hugely important. Right? We're encouraged to pray. It's good to pray. All right? Bring your petitions and requests before God. All right? In James, it talks about taking your sick to the elders and pray for prayer and anointing. Prayer is absolutely fundamental and essential to relationship with God. But what I'm saying is that often my default position is God do something and his instruction is, Ali, I've already given you the ability to do something. Often the, the, my prayer is, God, will you do something? Often God's response is, Ali, you're already the answer of that prayer. You're standing there with the authority to do something. So that was my challenge. And that's what I see over and over again. People not just praying, but commanding God's blessing based on their delegated authority given by Christ Jesus. Now that changes things a little bit for me. Suddenly faith isn't just about God's responsibility to answer prayer. It's my responsibility to be the answer too. God puts us centre stage. Remember what I said, you are the hope for Hastings. You are God's plan A and only plan for Hastings. It's all about God, but it's a lot about Peter as well. That's what I'm challenged with. It's all about God, it's all about Jesus. But actually, in these two stories, and I think scattered across the whole Gospels, I say, actually, it's a lot about the people themselves that say, I'm going to win a victory for Jesus here. So those are my two points this morning. And this is where we're going to go. It's all about Jesus and a lot about you. It's all about Jesus and a lot about you. And we're just going to unpick those two things this morning. Okay? You with me? Jolly goods. Right, I'm going to make you happy now because I'm going to give you a whole load of truth about Jesus. All right? We're going to get happy in God. In some ways, we've done most of it during the worship time. All the songs and all the things, all the contributions, I was like, they're basically doing my preach for me. This is wonderful. All right? So I'm just going to get on the back of what's been going on already, okay? So, it's all about Jesus. Do you know that Satan's number one tactic will be to try and convince you that faith is based on you and not on Jesus? All right? Because if, if the devil can do that, you know what? If faith is based on me, I'm a lost cause, because I am up and down like a yo-yo. I'm, honestly, don't have faith in me and my abilities. You know what? If you have faith in Jesus, it says in the word that he is constant. He does not change. He doesn't fail. He's a firm foundation. That's who our faith is based on. It's on the faithfulness of Jesus, the one who never changes. So good. Faith goes hand in hand with the faithfulness of God's. All right? Too often, my attempts in the past have been on trying to stir up some level of faith. I do believe. I will believe. I could try so hard, I can give myself a hernia. Do you know what? In order to have faith, do you know what the best thing for me to do? Is position my thoughts on what God says about his faithfulness. That's the best way of me raising my faith. Faith stems from God's faithfulness. Or put it this way, it's only because God is faithful that we can exercise courageous faith. It's only because Jesus was faithful that Peter in this situation could say, I can have faith, because I know that there's one that will never let me down. 
Genuine faith comes when we start with the truth and revealed character of God. John Stott says this, right? He's talking about Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor liked to render Jesus' command, have faith in God, with the words, reckon on the faithfulness of God. This paraphrase, although not exegetically exact, is theologically correct. Human faith and divine faithfulness are the obverse and reverse of the same coin. It is precisely because God is faithful that faith becomes reasonable. For there is no more trustworthy, no one trustworthy person than God. So to trust the trustworthiness is hardly daring or adventurous. It's just plain, sober, common sense. I love that. Put faith in me? Stupid. Put faith in Jesus? Well, that's just common sense. Because he's faithful. All right? And that's what he says. If you struggle with your levels of faith, let's root ourselves in the Bible and see what Jesus says about himself and what the Bible says about Jesus. So what's the truth? What is the truth? What does the Bible say about Jesus? Okay. Are you ready? This is going to be like getting charged up. All right, we're going to plug ourselves in the dock and we're going to get some battery charging now, okay? This is what it says about Jesus. What was it that gave Peter so much confidence to speak with real authority and faith? Well, Jesus said to Peter, one of the last things Jesus said to Peter and Peter's friends was this, and you can find it in Matthew 28, 18. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. All authority. No one is exempt from Jesus' rule. There, you know what? there is not an atom in the universe that doesn't abide by God's command. Do you know that? Not a human who has or will ever live who will not one day bow the knee to Jesus and confess that he was God all along. This is Jesus who is all authority. There is no demon who is higher, no power is weightier, no force is stronger. Jesus is above it all. He's above it all. Jesus has been given all authority. Ephesians 1.20 says this. He says, he raised him. So we're talking about God raising Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Every name. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me tell you, if you're not aware, this is not an equally matched fight that we're in. I want you to understand that. It's not as though there's Jesus and Satan and there's somehow tug of warring here. That's not what's going on. Jesus already is king above all kings, Lord above all lords, holder of all authority. All right? It's not Jesus will be. It is Jesus has been given all authority. Everything will submit to him and his name. You will get happier. I want you to realize that all of the spiritual realm is under no illusion who's going to win this fight at the end. I want you to know that. I want you to know that the devil knows what the final chapter is. He does. He knows that Jesus has done it all. Jesus is, not will be, Christus Victor. He is already the victor. 
And it's in that confidence, it's in that faith that Peter can say, get up from the dead. It's because Jesus has already done it. He's already won it all. It's absolutely wonderful. Okay, four quick things to get us happy, okay? Four things about Jesus very quickly. And this is for anyone who has committed to put their life in Jesus' name. And if this isn't you, you can do this today. And these are things that you will be able to receive in God's blessing. It's amazing. First thing is this. Jesus has defeated sin and death. Let's try that again. Jesus has defeated sin and death. Isn't that good? It's good news. God raised Jesus and broke the power of death. The power of death is broken for all who is in Christ Jesus. Death, it says, is swallowed up in victory. I think it's 1 Corinthians. Death is swallowed up in victory. We've been raised up spiritually, it talks about in Ephesians 2, and it gives us a hope beyond the grave. You know what? Peter's already seen people raised from the dead. He's seen Jesus do it. So his confidence that Tabitha's going to rise up from the dead is, well, he's already defeated death. This is easy. Is it, what's the deal? Jesus has already got the keys of life and death. Eternity is in his hands. This is easy. There's a degree of confidence because he knows that Jesus has already defeated sin and death. All of your sin, all of the penalty of your sin and all that mess, every single bit of it was put on Jesus at the cross. And it has been dealt with. Jesus said it is finished. All sin, past, present and future, has been dealt with on Jesus on the cross. And that's good, good news. Fabulous. It's done, dealt with, paid, written off. I don't care what term you use, but it's done. Absolutely done. All your sin and the consequences of your sin, which is death, has been paid and done at the cross. Second thing, Jesus has fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled the law. On the cross, Jesus gains victory over Satan for us removing his legal right, his legal right to torment you and to prosecute you and say, you deserve the death penalty. The minute Jesus fulfilled the law, do you know what? All of your prosecutors, all of the enemy look at you and say, we've got nothing on him. He's squeaky clean. Some of you need to hear that. If you've put your life in Jesus' hands, all of your prosecution are saying, we've got nothing on him. We've got nothing on him. He is squeaky clean. Everything has been paid for. There is no legal prosecution trying to push for the death penalty. They have nothing on you. Colossians 2 says this, And you who were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. So you went your own way, you were just doing your own thing in your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of the sins by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And this he set aside, and I love this, he nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. All those court orders that you get through the door, you know what Jesus did? He took all of those court orders. He said, look at this. Nailed it to the cross. Every single one of them. There is now no longer a court order in your name where you've got to go and make amends or do something or have a consequence because it's been paid for because Jesus has taken the law. He's fulfilled the law. And now as far as you're concerned, you have fulfilled the law in him. 
It's so, so good. And I, I can just see that you're bubbling up inside in real excitement. The third thing, Jesus has purchased freedom, liberty, and full access. Hallelujah! Freedom, liberty, and full access is now yours. We, you know what? We enter into the baptism pool with a cross, and we come out with a crown. Oh, we come out with a crown. It's not just something about, oh, this is just something that's to my name. You know what? Your very identity, the very makeup of who you are is different this side of the cross because of what Jesus did for you. It's absolutely bonkers. God seated Jesus at the right hand and us with him. That same power that installed Jesus at God's right hand has put us there also. The power that took Jesus from death and put him eternally in God's presence put you there too. And keeps you there. The gospel has qualified you to freely receive God's love, his power, his mercy, his grace. And many other benefits. And we experience all of these benefits by faith, which is a confident agreement that Jesus has done it all. It is good news. Good news. Ephesians 2.6 says this, He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow. What an upgrade. <laughs> I've never had an upgrade. Every time I go flying, I'm like, oh, just, I feel like, wouldn't it be so much nicer to be through that curtain? What an upgrade. You've been taken from your sin and your mess and you've now been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he doesn't just say, come and be and sit there and be quiet. He says, come and enjoy all the blessings that I have for you. Wow. Freedom, liberty and full access. And the last thing that Jesus has done, you know what, he's done loads of things, but I've just nailed it down to four. The last thing is this. Jesus has been given every tribe and every nation. Listen, the reason I can say with confidence that God's got a plan for Hastings is because Jesus has purchased the souls of Hastings and says, I have got an agenda to restore my life across this nation. That's one thing that Jesus won for himself as a cross, is every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Jesus is saying, they're all mine. And that gives us confidence. We have been given that same authority to reach the nations for his glory. We have been given that same authority. In the same way that Adam and Eve were there to subdue the earth and rule over it, our responsibility is to get out there, subdue the earth, and bring God's blessing and rule wherever you go. That is now our commission. That is what we've been called to do. Because Jesus has been given every tribe and every nation. God gave Jesus as head of the church the power of life and authority which equips the, and propels the church into mission is from him, through him and for him alone. All right? Paul often says, it's not my church, it's God's church. You know what? Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. It's not Paul, it's not Dave Holden, it's not the eldership, it's not us as a leadership team. Jesus is the one who is the cornerstone and is fighting for his church. He will build his church. Jesus gives his church the authority over the works of the enemy. Authority is delegated power. Let me just use this illustration. If you see a police officer 
they generally have two things. Well, they have lots of things. But two things that I noticed about them. They'll have a baton. In fact, there's some police officers in Sussex that are even licensed to carry a gun. All right, so use that as an analogy. Police officer, they've got a gun, but there's something more important. What is it? They've got a badge. They've got a badge. Listen, you've been given a gun, but you've been given a badge, which is now that you have the authority to go in Jesus' name. And it's because you are now a son or a daughter of the living king. You, you don't, you're not just given the power, you are given the authority to bring blessing wherever you go. Who knows what's going to happen when Otto goes into work? Who knows? Because he carries the key of blessing wherever he goes. And that's the same with all of you. You not only have the power, but you have the authority. You have God's commissioning to go. In the same way that a police officer goes in the name of the queen and country, you go in the name of king and the whole of the kingdom and the heavenlies. Wow. Power and authority. We have the keys to unlock blessing and bind oppression in Jesus' name. Wow. This is the confidence that Peter had when he said to Tabitha, Tabitha, get up. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to try and minimise it, but I, when I read what Peter's doing, it's almost as though he's saying, well, what's the big deal? All that stuff, all that truth we've just heard about Jesus, he's like, well, Jesus can do that. Long-term sickness, Jesus could do that. So, solve long-term poverty, destitute spirit, fatherless spirits, Jesus can do that. Because he's got the keys for all of it. He's already done it. The debt's already been paid. Feeling bondage, got chains, that's all right. Not a problem for Jesus because he says his captives are now free. This is the hope that we live to and this is what Peter was doing. So Peter knows all of these things. His confidence is based not on the formulas he learned with Jesus, but he, it was the fact he spent so much time with the God-man, he knew that his faith was put in the faithfulness of Jesus and what he could do. It's all about Jesus but it's about Peter as well. Okay, so second point. So that's, it's all about Jesus. I hope you're feeling happy, because if that doesn't cheer you up, I don't know what will. Picnic won't. Not like that anyway. I hope you're not thinking about sandwiches. Okay, point two. So it's all about Jesus and a lot about you. A lot about you. Mike Bickle says this. He says, Many believers see Jesus as the head of the church, but fail to understand that the head is dependent on his body to carry out his plans. Let me read that again. And we've already said it this morning. Jesus is the head of the church. But many believers fail to understand that the head is dependent on his body to carry out his plans. It's not that Jesus is unable. It's that Jesus has chosen to use vessels like you to bring blessing to people that would otherwise have no blessing. That's the privilege. For us to be the streams in which the source Jesus can flow out and bring nutrients and blessing to all of the dead, dry ground around. It's because of that. It's, it's partly about you. God's plans for redemption is you and me. And I think faith for Peter comes in two parts. Firstly, he understands the truth, which we've just looked at. And we must start with Jesus because our position, our identity, our commission, they're all founded and substantiated in him. Our authority comes from who we are, not what we do. So that's got to be our starting point. You're a child of God. And just on that point, names aren't just a matter of semantics. Let me just say that. It's not just you've got a different name now. 
your actual position and your makeup is different. Okay, being a child of God is more than a title, it's a position and an open ticket into the courtrooms of the King of Kings, who's now your daddy. That's a, subsa- that's a massive change. But the second thing about faith, so Peter has the truth and he knows the truth, and, and we can have all of that as the basis of why our confidence comes from God. But the second thing is this, acting in obedience. And I think it's very important that we don't only say that we have faith in God, but actually we exercise our faith in God by being obedient. A number of years ago, I used to go rock climbing. And uh, the first time I went rock climbing, I went with Dan Harwood and a few friends. And I was roped up and I was climbing up and Dan said, don't worry, the rope will hold you. And for me to have a degree of confidence of, I know that if I fall off the rock... I know that Dan will have me. It was a completely different experience when I fell off the rock and that rope stretched and you hear that kind of noise. And then I'm there, secure and held by the rope. I'll tell you what, faith is not only evident by when you say, I have faith in God. It's when you put yourself in a position where God's faithfulness needs to break into your situation because you have no other hope. Faith isn't just about believing, but it's about doing. You cannot have faith without obedience. James chapter 2 says this. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And with regards to my own faith, I don't have problems believing that God is faithful. At times, I do struggle with putting myself in a position that, man, I am reliant on God coming through here. How about you? In terms of courageous faith, do you put yourself in situations where, God, I'm calling you to come through for me here? And just very quickly, because I know we've only got five minutes, I'm just going to outline in just one minute each just four principles that I think we can learn from Peter and other guys in the Bible about how to act in obedience with faith. And the first thing is this, dependency on the Father. Dependency on Jesus, dependency on God the Father. I think Peter and the early apostles took a page from Jesus' book. See, Jesus said, I only do what the Father does, I only say what the Father says. Now that sets a high bar, doesn't it, for our lives, to do what Jesus does. And what's interesting for me is that Jesus was God, but he emptied himself of all of those powers, and actually he related to God just like a man. And all the miracles and all the power that he had, he did it as a man. I want you to understand that. Because that means that me as a man, I can relate to God as Father, and I can receive his instruction, I can do about God's work, and do just like the Father does. What Jesus did, we can do, because he has emptied himself of his divine powers and became a man. You talk about that in Philippians 2. His miracles were done as a man, not as God's. Bill Johnson says this, No two miracles of Jesus recorded in Scripture were done in exactly the same way. I can't help but wonder if our tendency to get locked into patterns and principles, though they have value, might work against our need to stay connected to what the Father is doing. Wow. Connected to the Father, that's the most important thing. Okay? Second thing, catch the wave. A number of years ago I went to Portugal, we did some surfing. If I went out too far, I would never catch a wave. There's no power in the board. There's no power in me. But I'll tell you what, my responsibility is to paddle and catch that wave. And often, if you want to think about working in miracles and doing those kind of things, what I see here with Peter is that all he's done is catch a wave. 
He hasn't had to try and muster up power of his own. All he's done is said, what's God doing? And I'm going to paddle and I'm going to catch the wave of God's blessing. So can I just use that as an example? Just catch the wave is the second thing. Look at what God's doing, do what the Father does, and catch the wave and catch the blessing of God. The third thing, overcome disappointment. Again, Mike Bickle says this, our authority is based on what Jesus accomplished, not on our moods, feelings, fervor, or victory. It's very easy when I have victory to think, man, I'm going to go again. And then when it doesn't quite happen the way I planned it, for me to say, well, maybe it's not for me then. No, what Mike's just said is, no, no, it's, it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't know all the stories in the Bible that Peter went to heal someone and it didn't quite work out. I don't know if there was any. But the reality, for me, there is. My responsibility is not to delve into disappointment, it's to lift my eyes and say, but you are faithful and you say you're good. And I'm going to push in, and I'm going to push in, and I'm going to push in. Overcome disappointment. A friend of mine last week, he said to me, he said, focus more on the love of God in your heart than the power of God in your hands. I love that. If all I'm focused with is the power of God in my hands, as soon as something doesn't quite happen, I'm, where am I? Whereas actually if my focus is, man, my relationship with Jesus and what God is doing in my heart, that allows me, actually, it doesn't really matter what happens because I know that's the most important thing. And lastly... No. Ephesians 1.18 says this, I pray that, so this is Paul speaking to the church, says, I pray that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance to the saints, and know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. I think sometimes we just don't know how powerful you really are. Sometimes I just don't realise that I'm a big deal around here. It's not just Alex. You're all a big deal. Here, Paul means no in the sense of a conscious experience of. It's not just a no in my head. Actually, I'm experiencing something of a knowing in my head and in my heart. It's like me saying, here's a jar of honey. You can see and believe that it's a jar of honey because it might look... There's nothing here. <laughs> Everyone's looking at my hand like, well, he hasn't... But it's a different thing when you put your finger in there and you taste it. And you say, that's honey, isn't it? What Paul is talking here is, I pray that you will know. There'll be an experience of understanding and knowing the power of God for those who believe. John Piper says this, and I'm just going to finish here. Paul is not praying that we get the calling or become heirs or get the power. He is saying, you have the calling, you are heirs, And you have the power of God towards you. And you don't know them as you could or as you should. He is praying that we would be spiritually, experientially conscious of God's power towards us as believers now. It's not that we're trying to get heirs, become heirs. It's not that we're trying to receive power. The Bible says you are powerful. Because you've got the very authority and power of God working through you. We don't need to muster up our own power. You have the very power of the risen Lord Jesus living inside of you. Courageous faith? It's easy. Jesus has already done it. Pray for someone with a bad leg? Fell off a balancing beam? That's all right. God's already paid for it all. 
He's already done it. Will there be disappointments? I'm sure there will be. Will there be pushes for me to go through and push into the things of God? Absolutely. But God is faithful and he will never sway from the left or the right from his faithfulness. He is steady and he is true. Is that good? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to quickly pray. For some of you, I think that you've probably just ruled yourself out. For some of you, I think you've probably just considered yourself, even through this whole series of Acts of Courage, you just thought, that's just not really me. Do you know what? The reason we're doing these Acts of Courage post-it notes aren't because that's the goal. The goal of this series is not to get post-it notes. The goal of the series is for you to be more courageous and understand who you are in God. Post-it notes are just a good way of celebrating all that God's doing in his people. So do it, because faith... Like testimony stirs faith. But I know there's some people in here that have already ruled themselves out of living a courageous life because you're thinking it's all about you and that's just not the case. It's all about Jesus and what he has already purchased and won for you. And some don't appreciate the power that's inside of you. Some don't realise how powerful you are. It's almost like some of you consider yourself to be like a triple A battery and God's saying, no, you are mains. You are like 230, 240 volt, you are. Some of you have just kind of almost downsized yourself and said, I feel like a nine volt battery. No, you have got the very power of God in you. That's not who you are. And some don't look at Jesus, but they look to their own strength. So let me just ask you two questions. Do you know your sonship? And do you want fresh revelation of what your position is? Because that will change everything else. And the second challenge, have you stepped back from acting obedience with courageous faith? You believe in your head, you know that God's faithful, but you haven't actually in a long time put yourself in a position where you've had to reckon on God's faithfulness. Is that you? Lord God, I want to thank you that you are faithful. Lord, I want to thank you that you are so good. Lord, the fact that you want us to be involved in your extension of your kingdom, it just blows my mind. But Lord, it's not too difficult for us. It's not not out of reach because we know that you have done it all. Thank you that you have paid the debt against us. Thank you that you have wiped out sin and death. Thank you that you have brought freedom and liberty and an open heaven to us today. And I pray, Lord, for two things. Will you reveal sonship and daughtership here right now in Jesus' name? And I pray for a revelation of how powerful we are in you. So I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you break out and give courageous hearts right now. Some of you are just going to start to receive excitement in your heart right now. And excitement that God is going to start doing some new, fresh things through you. It was never about Jesus not being powerful enough. It was probably just actually you weren't being faithful enough and stepping out. So maybe this week you'll have an opportunity with those post-it notes to put faith to the test. And maybe next week you can come back and report back and say, man, God was faithful. Amen? Amen. I'll pass back to Steve.